Let's start by all joining together and praying. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock, you are our redeemer. Amen. I love you. Those three words, when they get put together, are some of the best words in the English language, aren't they? This is what you want your kids to know as they're drifting off to sleep. Before you close the door and before you say goodnight one last time, what do you say? I love you. In any romantic relationship, these three words change the dynamic. There's uh, before the I love you in the relationship and the after I love you. Saying and hearing I love you in that kind of relationship sends you down a pretty awesome path. I love you is what you say to your mom, your dad, or anybody that you love before they go on the training mission or the tour. Because you want these words to be echoing through their heads through all the challenges and all the struggles and all the difficult things that they're going to be facing so that they've got one constant truth that they can lean back on in all those times. I love you. So before the months or weeks or years or whatever it is apart, what do you say? I love you. If you can count up all the times that you say this, or you hear this in a day, no matter what that number is for you, I'd bet you like it if it was more. Even if showing isn't emotion, your kind of thing, I think you agree that this is still good. Because when you slow down and you take the time to listen and think through and understand, these three words can mean everything. Isn't it cool that God gave us a language where we can take just a few tiny words and string them together, and this can mean so much. Well, today I get to challenge you to think through another three-word combination, and I want you to decide if that new three-word combination is even better than I love you. Because these three words that are new, these are words that you want your kids to hear from you often. These are words that are going to change the dynamic in a relationship, romantic or not any relationship. These words have ended hours or weeks or years of separation and brought people back together. Later on, I want you to have a real conversation with somebody, with anybody about this. What three words do you think are better? I love you or I forgive you. But before you get there, when you do this later today, before that, you got to hear what God said to this group of Christians who were in the city of Corinth about 2,000 years ago. And really, this part of 1 Corinthians, I think, should kind of come with a warning attached to it. If you didn't already feel it the first time, as we read through these words, this little section, this is going to push you outside your comfort zone. You are going to want to ignore it. You're going to want to look away and pretend like you don't have to think about it. 
most of this chat and this back and forth that we get to see challenges you. But after two weeks of focusing on how the cross and Jesus is the center and foundation of Christianity, now you're ready for this chat today. So let's break through that barrier. Let's talk for real. Here's where Paul starts. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Whoa. The messiness of saying I love you begins here. And even if you don't quite share Christian morals yet or today, I mean, this doesn't look good. God's messenger has to start by bringing the issue out into the open, and just with a couple words, you can feel the tension is starting to build. Ready for another layer of issues going on in this interaction? Paul has to say, and you, Christians, you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? Not only is this an issue for the man and his mother-in-law, now it's messed with the whole group that was there. I mean, when you find out, what do you do? What do you say? Instead of dealing with it, this group turned out to be good with it. So good with it, in fact, that Paul, who is in a faraway, distant city where communication is hard, he's found out that they're so good with it that they're proud of it. The whole group now has issues with their morals, too. And here's what God's representative chose to do then. He faced it all head on. He didn't ignore or downplay these issues of morality. God's clear about all of this. So he's going to start by being clear, too. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. At least I can say this is the height of the tension that we're going to hit today. And we got to make it clear, to hand over to the devil what he's talking about here doesn't mean to support or to go along with anything that the devil wants to be happening here. It means that they're simply supposed to see that by the actions of the two and the inactions of the entire group, that they were failing to help people understand that some in that group were on the path to hell. So, group of Christians, no more supporting, no more pride in what's going on. It's time to say it like it is. I think that there's one group of people, some of them are here today, there's definitely that group in our lives and in our world that are really, really great at doing that first kind of thing. They will call people out boldly. They will give some brutally honest truth and it will hit and it's just clear. Who's the best at this? Yeah, kids. Kids are just 
good at this kind of thing. I, uh, for the sermon, I read through a whole bunch of lists of brutally honest truths that kids have said to other people. I'm just going to share a few. There's a whole lot that I could have shared that were cringy and awful. So hopefully these aren't as bad as the other ones. But uh, here's the first one. At an aquarium, uh, a dad and a kid are there. And the kid looks up to his dad and he points at the fish and says, Wow, dad, that fish is even uglier than you. Ugh. Number two, a preschooler loves their preschool teacher. So they go and they hug their preschool teacher's little leg and they say, Mrs. T, your leg is kind of squishy. You need to work out. What are you doing? Ugh. But maybe, maybe the worst one out of the three examples, number three, on the 35th birthday of a dad, a kid walks into their dad's room and at 5 a.m. whispers to them, oh, Happy birthday, Dad. Another day closer to death. <laughs> I'm thankful that you're laughing. I'm thankful that there's some humor in here. But sense of humor aside for some of these funny things, uh, just reading and hearing these situations, reading them out loud, that makes you uncomfortable. Where You don't want to be there when these things are being said. You kind of want to separate from that because that puts you out of your comfort zone. At some point in this process of being united and encouraging one another, this is going to send you far outside your comfort zone. By nature, you and I are not built to be good at confrontation. I mean, you know how messed up you are. I know how messed up I am. And to confront somebody else about their issues, you feel like a hypocrite. You leave it to other people then and just hope that maybe somebody else, someday, they might be brave enough to talk about it and to deal with it. Doing what Paul does here, what God is encouraging us to do as a group, I think is one of the most challenging things for a Christian to ever do. And yet it's also what God calls us to do when he unites us on that firm foundation of Jesus. Christians need to watch out for other Christians. Now remember in context here, we're talking about Christians with Christians. That's a big piece of this. But every time that we see another believer who just ignores God's moral standards and lives against them, it's our responsibility to warn them. So whenever we do this and we stay inside our comfort zone and we never bring it up, it's like we're saying we really don't want unity, at least not the real unity that Jesus wants us to have. Every time we do this, we fail to be the brother and the sister, the Christian friend that that Christian person needs us to be. Thankfully for every way that we've failed to do this, there was one who was going to be exactly what people needed. You see, he was perfect with every person in every interaction. He called out people for their sins boldly and openly and at times gently and patiently. Then you got to hear words of forgiveness 
sometimes that were boldly and openly spoken, and then other times gently and patiently spoken. But whatever people needed, Jesus gave them. And what's amazing is that this kind of thing was never outside of his comfort zone. This was part of his mission, and Jesus stayed on task. When you get to read in the Bible about how Jesus did this, a big part of this you can see is Jesus was never trying to get people to live perfectly, to live up to that standard, because he knew people weren't going to be able to do it. Instead, he was trying to lead them to understand God's morality and that they were people who needed his help. And all of that so that they might see that he had come to be the perfect one in their place who is going to give them forgiveness. A forgiveness that isn't a hope or a maybe or something that we have to work to get by doing better, but a forgiveness that's here and now. A forgiveness that is real and impactful. A forgiveness that frees us from the burden of trying to live up to the standard of perfection. You'd figure in all of Christianity, of all the people that have ever been connected with Jesus, you would figure that the apostle and disciple Peter would have understood forgiveness. He'd been so close to Jesus for years. But then you understand and read a little bit more about Peter and you see how messed up he is. And how messed up we are sometimes too, like him. Not too long after Jesus ascends back into heaven, Peter starts making forgiveness look not like a gift that God gives freely, but more like something you have to do and earn. You see, he caved in to the peer pressure of people around him. He stayed in his comfort zone and he didn't confront people when they started making forgiveness about the outward things that you have to do. He started to live like it was Jesus and what Jesus did and you and what you do. So Peter got messed up. So imagine then being another Christian brother or sister and you have to call out Peter for his failure. How far outside your comfort zone would it be to challenge an apostle and a close friend of Jesus? I know I don't want to do this. But what's cool is that's not outside God's ability to work and to change Peter's heart. And it was the same messenger that God sent to the Christians in Corinth, the, the one who wrote this letter, who's also the one who goes to Peter, who confronts him face to face, who calls him out for his sin, and who helps Peter to admit that he was wrong. All of that leading to what did Paul get to say to Peter? What's the goal of all of this? What do we want to do in all these interactions? Paul got to say to Peter, I forgive you. What is going to push us outside of our comfort zones to do this hard thing? To realize that this is something that is bigger than you and me. It's what Paul did so many times. It's what drives us. Why should we do this and warn each other and call each other out for sin? So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. It's all about keeping people connected to Jesus here 
and forever in heaven. That's why these words are beautiful. When you as Christians say these to other people, it's not just you saying these words. God's behind you as you say them. When you confront somebody with their sin and they repent, you had better say to them, I forgive you. God forgives you. You have this awesome responsibility of reminding them of who they are in Jesus. People forgiven by him. So this is where we're at in unity. Let's be intentional and let's start doing this. Let's say I forgive you more in our lives. Think about all the ways and times that you say I love you and how impactful those words are. And then think through what the impact would be if you got to say I forgive you as many times in a day. Think through how you'd be changed if people would say that to you every day. These three words are going to change life too. And we can start by admitting, yes, this is something that is probably going to put you outside your comfort zone to start, but I know you're going to like where it ends up. Because saying these three words more with each other, with the people in our lives, this is going to make us into a group that can do some pretty awesome things. We're going to start to see each other as helpers. We won't get defensive. We won't let conversations spiral down and relationships spiral. We'll remember that God united us for each other. We'll live in his forgiveness that we get to share. If we do this more, what things can't we do together? What big challenges can't we face with each other? We'll be the kind of group that we want to be. A group that is all about getting people connected to Jesus and keep, keeping people connected to him. So let's be who God has made us to be. Let's be united for each other. Amen.